Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Bee Podcast. Today, Alicia shares her unique story over a topic that is, unfortunately, not a unique experience, domestic abuse. One in three women will be assaulted by a romantic partner, according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. On just one day in Iowa, domestic violence programs will serve 853 survivors, and yet another 133 will be turned away due to lack of resources. Domestic abuse happens, and it happens often. Our guest today not only has endured the sharp pain of trauma as an adult through domestic abuse, in this episode, she explains the earth-shattering catalyst that led to the life that she escaped. She shares her most intimate experiences and, most importantly, her courage in leaving. This episode does contain adult content not suited for children. Additionally, the information may be triggering to some due to the nature of the content. Please be advised. Now, here is her story. Hi, everyone. I am here with Alicia Brownlee, and she is just an incredible woman, and I've had the pleasure of getting to know her even better over the last few weeks. And actually, just yesterday, we took a walk, and when this airs, it'll be like a, like a while ago, but we just <laughs> yes. took a walk yesterday, and um, it was literally the most eventful walk that I've ever been on. It's chaotic. Chaotic. <laughs> it was just great, but it was awesome because it was so good to catch up. So, Alicia, thank you so much for yes, being here. Yes, thank you for having me. Yes. So... Let's just kind of dig right into your story. So you have a very, very complex story, and I think it's really going to influence and inspire and encourage a lot of people. So let's just start, just tell us a little bit about who you are right now. Well, I am 31 with a four-year-old. I'm from Ottumwa, born and raised. (laughs) Um, Moved to Albia and Kirkville during my time with my son's dad. I work at Vermeer currently and raising my kid as a single mom. <laughs> yes, yes, and you're doing an excellent job. Thank you. He was so, he's working so hard. He, he's got a really cool bike, you guys, and that's, he, he was riding his bike, and it's got, it's got sound effects. Yes, it's Hot very wheels. cool. Hot Wheels. Yes. So, you guys, look that up. Hot Wheels, what is it? It's not a tricycle. No, just a toddler bike. Just a toddler bike, yeah. yeah. It's adorable. Okay, all right, So and she's doing an excellent job. So we are sitting outside in my yard, and if you hear background noise, it might be my dog, it might be the birds, it might be my neighbor mowing his yard. But we are going to get into this. So, Alicia, let's just start at the beginning. Um, You had experienced substantial trauma as a child. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, when I was five... My uncle was murdered at the Ottumwa High School, so that was a very traumatic thing. I remember everything of the day, um, getting the phone call, going to the hospital, um, just complete turmoil and chaos all around, um, seeing my grandma in a wheelchair because she couldn't walk. It was before the emergency room had the emergency doors in the back. They wheeled them right in the front and I seen 
those events coming through while my mom was holding me. So that was very traumatic, um, especially being five. So I knew what family was beforehand and Jeremy was my best friend. I did everything with him, went and played basketball, went to church group, uh, everything. Went with his friends, went to the beach. I mean, where there was Jeremy, there was me. So that day my whole entire world got flipped completely upside down. And you, in a, I know that we talked about this a little bit before. Can you tell me about the the events of that day? So, like, I remember you saying that you you remember doing, you remember exactly what you were eating, yes. what you so were doing. So, I was, um, at the time, we lived with my grandpa, and I was sitting on the front room floor watching morning cartoons, you know, like, like you, do. you do when you're five. <laughs> Uh, eating toast and butter, my favorite at the time. Absolutely. So (laughs) good. Yes. And on a little brown platter. I don't know, you know, it's just one of those things where when you have trauma, you just remember every little detail. And I've noticed like even through life, I'm a very detailed person. Like if something traumatic happened, I could probably tell you what you were wearing that day, you know? So, um, I was sitting on the floor and I remember hearing the phone ringing and my mom answering it and instantly just the everything just changed. It was just like a dark cloud just came into the room and I heard her start crying and I just heard a lot of no, 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 no. And the phone got tossed and she yelled into the other room to my grandpa that we had to go that Jeremy had been shot. And then I don't remember much after that besides standing in the hospital doors the um they started pushing we came in and jeremy on the gurney or whatever Mm -hmm. um came in i mean i feel like it was seconds behind us it might have been minutes it might have been i'm not real sure but um i remember seeing that and um i remember seeing the officer pushing my grandma in a wheelchair and i just didn't quite grasp what was going on in that time. But you know um, it was bad. I, yes, and I remember us going into the room off to the side, and I remember the officer talking to my grandma, and my grandma just kept, uh, she was just shaking and yeah. crying and just kept saying, my baby, no, my baby, and just screaming. My grandpa was standing in the corner, just silent. I mean, I just, shock, I guess. Um, my mom was holding me, I, and I don't remember like her emotions at that time because I think I was just so confused as to what was going on that I just know she was holding me, and I had a lot of questions, and I know um, he wasn't pronounced dead at Atumwa. Uh He did get airlifted to Iowa City, and I went and stayed. I went to one of my mom's friend's house in the beginning, and then I got picked up by her cousin's. And I went to their house uh, and it hadn't really hit me yet, like what was going on. I I knew that Jeremy had been shot and I knew that just something wasn't right. Um, They were hiding us from the TV and, you know, we were four or five years old. My cousins and I, we were four or five years old at the time. So we're like, why can't we watch TV? Like, right. It's always noise, you know. So we were in the playground and we decided that we were going to sneak the TV on. Oh, yeah. About that time, breaking news came on that Jeremy Allen had been murdered at the Atoma High School. So then, yeah, so that's when I realized that that had happened. And I remember uh, just sitting on the couch with my mom's cousin and just sitting there. And then 
after everything, um, before the funeral and stuff, I remember people after people after people after people just coming in and giving us fruit baskets and hugs and and this whole time my grandpa had a love seat uh with the back to the front window so I was looking out the window and you know watching these people and just waiting for Jeremy to just come oh yeah like I mean because at five you just don't understand death I don't think how it's final a word absolute yeah. it is. yeah so you know what do you mean I'm never going to see this person again so I think until the funeral, I was like that. And so at the funeral, I don't remember a lot. I do remember uh, my mom picking me up to tell Jeremy goodbye. And I remember seeing him in his baseball uniform because he was uh, an excellent baseball player. <laughs> and that was his passion. He was one day going to play for the St. Louis Cardinals, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I remember her picking me up and me leaning and giving him a kiss and I think then is when it was real. Yeah, because so. he didn't look the same. He didn't feel no. the same. Yeah, yeah. There just wasn't. There was no life. Right. You know that wasn't my uncle. Right. So. And before his passing, you were doing. You did everything together, and it almost seemed like he was like your father. Yes. So I didn't have a father. Well, I mean, obviously we all have fathers. Right. But my father was not a part of my life before I was born. And Jeremy lived with you. Yes. So he so, was, yeah. Yeah. He was like my big brother, my father figure, my hero, my giver of piggyback rides. Like he was my everything. There wasn't a day that passed that we weren't together. Mm -hmm. And so I guess until after his death, I didn't realize that I didn't have a dad or that I was missing something that everyone else had because I was just... I had Jeremy. Yeah. So and you I, felt loved and yeah, there was I just, no void. There was no yeah. void at all. I mean, and, you know, my mom did everything she could to raise me as a single parent. And, and I had a very supportive family and we did everything together and family barbecues, family reunions, you know, weekend slumber parties, you know, all of it. And very so, close knit. Yes. And then mm. after Jeremy died, everybody's world was shook and just nothing was the same again right which is understandable considering the circumstances right. because I mean when you get together you're obviously going to think of the one person that you're missing and, right which makes holidays hard or oh, yes. get I mean let alone I mean, like getting still, together for fun I mean it's yeah. 2020 and this happened in 94 I mean it's still I mean especially for my mom and aunts um it's just hard Absolutely. And I mean, well, I don't the blame circumstances <laughs> around the death. I mean, that yes. was, I mean, it was murder. He was murdered. It yes. wasn't, it wasn't an just accident. like an, yes. well, yeah. Or I mean, death is just hard anyways. Right. But it was just an unnatural thing, I think. Right. <laughs> and that there's a victim and a perpetrator. And so that makes it, like you said, death is never easy to deal with. Um, but I think, yeah, the unnatural of it yes. could cause lots and lots of uh, struggles. So then you kind of knew what your family was like beforehand where, you know, you were close knit and everything felt like it should. And yes, then safe. afterward, <laughs> yeah, safe. Yes. And then after was this feeling of uneasiness, um, uncertainty. I mean, law enforcement was involved. Like it was a oh, yeah. huge thing. And everything then, that you weren't exposed to before and that you naturally come exposed to through the years. Mm -hmm. I think was just piled all in one day. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know. Like you're drowning yes. in it. 
yeah um okay so then that was life post trauma for you and so that clearly had some effects on the way that you viewed family again and the way that you viewed yourself so can you talk a little bit about how how you kind of coped with with losing someone so close to you and then how that kind of effect kind of shifted into the relationships that you had yeah so there was a lot of anxiety in my family a lot (laughs) understandable and um you know depression was a big thing and so after jeremy passed i you know i was used to weekends at my grandparents and slumber parties and and things like that and then after jeremy's death that just didn't exist anymore because if i walked out the door i could get ran over by a car or if i walked out the door someone could kidnap me being a parent now i mean i understand all those anxieties especially with facing trauma but as i grew older it was kind of like i was being suffocated so also you know i felt like i was my mom's rock when it came in in my grandma i was very close to my grandma because after jeremy passed away i would have dreams and you know i remember one thing that my grandma absolutely hated was that she couldn't dream about jeremy you know Mm -hmm. and i've read and heard you know you won't dream about someone um that has passed because they just don't feel that you can handle it oh okay yeah so you know i kind of looked into all that and you know i read a lot about that but she just wasn't ever at peace with Jeremy passing away. Sure. And so dreaming about her would have just caused a lot of... Anguish. Yes, a yeah. lot more. And just bringing it all back to surface. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it was always there. But yeah. just bringing that pain back. And so I was obviously young. I don't remember the dreams. Um, maybe that's why I had them. Um, but I would tell my grandma and my mom that Jeremy's okay. You know, he still loves us. And, you know, I would have dreams that he would come back. And would be sitting in the recliner, but he would leave before anybody got home. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, because he said nobody else could see him, you know. And I, you know, I don't remember those. But obviously, I mean, it did something for my grandma and my mom. You know, it helped them, I think, a little bit to cope with things. So I just think as I got older, I just became that rock and didn't when you're the oldest child too right yes and um I think that is so I'm the oldest granddaughter on my side I have older male cousins but yeah so I was just very connected with my grandma so it was just one of those things that we bonded in and just like um I feel like my relationship Mm -hmm. with my mom too you know I had my grandma before um Jeremy died Mm -hmm. so I have something that my sister, brother, my cousins didn't get. Right. And at no fault of anyone's, you know. Well, and I'm sure also being the oldest, not only does the oldest feel responsible for, you know, younger siblings, <laughs> and I've got to be the good role model, right, and I, ha- I have all this pressure. But, I mean, not only that, but then you also had the pressure of, like, you making sure that, you know, your family was taken care okay. of. And, <laughs> yeah. Constantly, okay. Like, I mean, I still, I still to this day, like, I don't like feeling like someone's mad at me. Or that someone's upset. Like, I will do anything I can to just make sure that you know I'm here. Which is self-sacrificing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is, yeah. I mean, total, yeah. That makes so much sense. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I just always put me aside, I mm-hmm. guess, if that makes any sense. But as I got older, I was sick of being guarded. And when I hit high school, 
15, 16 years old, I rebelled against my mom and life, really. Yeah. Um, I was a straight-A student and loved school, loved math, and I started just not caring and found my bad boy yeah. <laughs> my senior year, and that's just basically screwed life at that point. Well, um, it's exhausting. I mean, yes. tr- trying to keep up with making certain that everyone's okay and taking care. And all of this is, I'm certain that your family wasn't like, Alicia, you need to make sure that we are taken care of. Like, oh, you know, right. that's no, all, absolutely. it's <laughs> yeah. all, you know, mental, it's yes. all internal. Yeah. Um, and so that would get, I mean, but there's guilt that comes with that. Right. And so, and they never wanted me to feel burden. I just right. put it upon myself. I guess right. I just, I guess I was just programmed that way. I don't sure. really know. I mean, I just, I think it, the trauma and like my body just automatically went to survival mode for yeah. me and everyone around me. Yeah. And so you're hypervigilant about everything. And then, I mean, it has to, I mean, you got to a point where you're like, no, I, I can't. It's e- It would be easier to not. Yeah. So yeah, that it's makes sense. It's just easier just to not care. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly what I did. I just didn't care. I didn't care. I didn't think about what the repercussions of this would be. Now looking back, I'm like, God, I was so dumb. <laughs> like, so <Right>. dumb. <laughs> I wish I would have just stuck with school, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a straight A student until the middle of my senior year and I actually could have graduated early and I decided that I was just going to start skipping school and um, in turn I ended up having to take a class at credit recovery in order to graduate and looking back I'm like duh. Well I think we all feel like that (laughs) at some point too. I just had it together and then I didn't. And that, you know, and that... But you had it together for such a long time. Right. Prior to. Right. I mean, I just feel, you know, even my uh, like mom will say, outside, you grew you up too together. fast. Yeah. You know, yeah. you grew up too fast. And I don't know that I really had an option at that point. Right. <laughs> you know, it was right. just kind of like one of those things that you just, it just happens. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I just felt like, and even when I was in school, I just really didn't connect with people my age because I just, they didn't connect with me because they didn't get it they didn't they didn't understand I was fearful of starting kindergarten uh, I was afraid of school you know and I just I leaned more on my teacher because she was an adult because that's who I trusted yeah I didn't right. trust my peers I didn't trust anyone around me because I mean Jeremy was killed by a schoolmate sure so oh my gosh yeah you know and I just had anxiety on that and you know so yeah it was just a lot so when I turned well 16 Gosh, I don't, I don't even want to think about being a parent of a 16-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exhausting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Not looking forward to it. Yeah, looking back, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I was such a brat. Bless my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Bless her soul. Yeah. She needs it, right? Yeah. Um. Okay. So then let's kind of move on to the relationship that you had with with your son's father then. So okay. when did you guys meet? Oh, so we actually met when I was 22. Um, through a mutual friend and we kind of had a relationship but I wouldn't really say it was dating relationship it was more of just like an emotional like hanging out kind of relationship and then he went back to his ex at the time and he was into drugs before me before I met him Um, and then he had quit and then I had heard after we lost contact that he had gotten back into them Mm. and then um a year or so passed, a year or so passed, and him and I reconnected, 
and he had been clean so and he was no longer with you know his ex-girlfriend whatever and things just kind of reconnected he apologized to for the shitty things that he had done and you know gosh that should have been my first sign <laughs> yeah right yeah so um well but you have the you have like the very forgiving yeah like, and i you're... just have like everybody deserves a second third five thousand chances mm-hmm. kind of intake on all of it so yeah so we started talking and it was just like home you know it was i felt comfortable with him mm-hmm. it wasn't ever awkward and from the day that we started talking again there wasn't a day that we weren't together from that moment yeah so it was kind of like my safe spot again and it felt good and it safe did. and comfortable and he was he had a daughter um when we met she was four she was just turning four so eventually i met her and then instantly i mean i was in love you know mm-hmm. so it was my you know mission to basically give this girl a great life when she was with her dad so he was very fun and caring cared about my emotions my well-being my feelings and cared about me as you know basically the bonus mom you know and I think he felt I don't know looking back I kind of just took over I just made it convenient for him to be a father and I gave her oh gosh everything like she was just my mini me my sidekick I did she did everything with me if she was with him she was with me you know no matter where he was she was you know so basically visits turned into visiting dad to visiting me Mm -hmm. you know and and I was perfectly fine with that I loved her you know I enjoyed having her so um we decided that we were going to move forward and get a house together uh this was probably five months in so pretty quick so we got a house and it was a basically a one and a half bedroom Um, At this time, we didn't have plans for another kid at the time. So it worked for us because we only got her every other weekend. um, So it just worked. And um, things just started growing between us. I mean, he started getting emotionally abusive, but it was kind of one of those things I just kind of pushed under the rug because of my prior relationship, my long-term relationship that I was in when I was in high school. Okay. Because, you know bitch and stuff like that just became a normal thing for someone to call you yeah so and was it like joking around like or was it did um, it start with like started jokingly and, and then, then it was more like an aggressive you're being a bitch yeah. or I would get basically shamed for being emotional sure I'm a female it happens <laughs> well for everyone we it happens a, yes yeah and you know and just, especially dealing with someone who's mean yeah <laughs> yeah right so um just words starting getting a little more just hurtful hurtful and just mean and no regards for my emotions at all so then you know I just kept brushing it off like oh he's just had a bad day at work or something didn't go right you know in the shop or making excuses for the yeah, always trying to always making excuses the and I just always okay well maybe maybe I was being a bitch maybe I did overreact about this you know, always me doing something wrong. So then obviously my self-esteem before wasn't great. So when that all started, it just started diminishing more. Mm -hmm. So 
three or four months later, we decided that we were going to start trying to have a baby. So we're not even a year into our relationship, so pretty quick. But like I said, it was just home. Like it just didn't feel like time had any, it felt like I was with him for five years and it hadn't been one. Yeah. So there was just no time cap on anything. Um, so I had my birth control removed and it was just kind of one of those things, if it happens, it happens. It was meant to happen. So I was off birth control for I think maybe a month or two. And then um, things started getting more and more emotionally abusive. The way he would talk to me, the things that he would say. Aggressive. Ag very, and just argument after argument. And, um, you know, I remember so many times, I'm like, I don't deserve this. I don't need this. I don't want to, I don't think I want to bring a kid in this because I already have a kid involved. And that was one of the, you know, that for as long as I was there, that was my reason. For staying was her. For staying was her. And we'll get to how that turned <laughs> in a little bit. But so, yeah, it was just kind of one of those things. Like, if I leave, she won't have structure. If I leave, she won't have me. So, again, you're doing the whole, like, I need to take care of this. Yes. This is this is mine now. This is my I responsibility. To... I can't take the easy route out. Like, I can't rebel this time. Yeah. Um, so I just put up with it and I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe this is what I need to do. Maybe I need to have a baby. So things started getting a little worse. And then I was like, you know what? No, this isn't what I want. So I got a hold of a friend that <laughs> didn't live here. Um, and we planned for me to like run away. So <laughs> this is the first time I'm coming out public about this too. So surprise. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So we had planned for me to just disappear and I would, you know, let my family know, obviously. Um, but I felt like that was the only way I could stick to my guns is if I just wasn't around here. Well, and had he been physically violent with you yet at that point? Pushing. Okay. But not, you know, not anything that I was fearful of. Okay. Yeah. So we planned that and that the weekend after this all planned, we went camping and I just had this hunch that I was pregnant. Mm. And I remember that Sunday morning that we woke up and uh, I told him, I said, I'm pregnant, I know I am. And he didn't believe me. And so then that Tuesday I went and ha got a test and well, <laughs> Monday I tried taking my own test. I don't know how, but I failed them. Like, <laughs> They just didn't work. They the pregnancy always, test? Yes. I, oh. just, I don't know what happened. But I, don't, I don't know. They were just broken. I don't know. <laughs> so okay. then I was like, well, I guess I should probably just schedule an appointment. Sure. So I went to our local family planning when we had one yeah. and went and got tested. And yeah, sure enough, right away, you are pregnant. So then my, I didn't, I just didn't know if I was happy, if I was sad, I didn't know. So right after I found out, I went to his work and, and told him and he was so excited like so excited and you know that just made everything better you know it felt better it felt like oh yeah, yeah. this is what it's supposed to feel like again. yes yeah so then that weekend my friends still came down and well I didn't leave uh, I couldn't you know I'm bringing another life into this like I have to try because in my eyes family is a mom a dad your baby you do whatever you have to do to make it work because and protect it yes because that's what you have to do and I wanted everything that I did not have. You know, the way I expected things, the way I foreseen things, you know, I wanted my son to grow up, well at the time I didn't know I was having that son, but right, I wanted child, yeah. my child to grow up 
with both parents. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want a split family. I didn't want a broken family. I didn't want him to experience any void at all. So I decided that I was going to stay and things were good for, oh my. <laughs> spider, spider. We are outside guys. <laughs> Mother nature. Mother Anyways. Nature. So yeah, um, I decided to stay and things were good, but they weren't great, I guess. So things started getting worse again with his, the way he talked and he started drinking a lot more. So drinking started becoming a problem and arguments got bigger and louder and things started being thrown and words just kept getting more and more hurtful. And there was times like if I wanted to do something, he would make it to where it felt like it was just a nuisance for him to even consider doing something I wanted to do. So then it would turn into basically how I was selfish and how he needed to do this and this and this and whatever. I'll just stop what I'm doing for you. Right, which makes you feel like crap. Right, so this is where the narcissistic traits start coming in. And so then ultimately we ended up doing what I would want to do. And, you know, he had a hobby and I never tried to step on those toes. But for, you know financially and things like that I'm like okay we can't afford it this weekend you know but to him it wasn't a hobby it was a way of life so he would take out of our grocery budget in order to do this the hobby know? that he enjoyed right so and it just wasn't it just never settled sure. well with me and my I just didn't have hobbies I didn't really I started distancing myself from friends and my life was just home so things just started and I remember when I was five months pregnant he uh, he went to Des Moines to get a copy of his birth certificate because he needed it to get an Iowa driver's license because he was originally from here okay um so he could sign the birth certificate oh sure for when we had our son um, so that turned into, he was supposed to be home by five. So of course I made dinner and was expecting him and come seven, eight o'clock, I had no idea where he was, couldn't get a hold of him. And so I started worrying because, you know, anything can happen when you're driving. <laughs> right. And, and then his phone was off. So it was just, okay. Like, is he okay? Did he get in a car wreck? Am I going to get a, a knock at the door from a sheriff? You know, it was just... Anxiety, 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 and then finally, midnight, 12.30, 1 o'clock maybe, um, he pulled into the driveway after drinking all day, and come to find out, he went to a few clubs up in Des Moines, and it just became a argument, and then it turned into, he got physical and pushed me, and I fell in the driveway, being and you're pregnant. pregnant, yes. So, in that moment... I was like, I can't do this. I just can't do it. Like, I don't deserve this. So the next day, I went to the doctor to get checked. Obviously lied to my doctor that I fell, but I told him I tripped over the dog in the middle of the night trying to walk to the bathroom. So then now I'm making excuses. Right. And you, and like, in I'm your brain, lying. are you mental, like, do you understand that, like, and now I'm making excuses for him and, like, this is, or were you, I like. I knew, but it just didn't, like, it just seemed like it, that's what I was supposed to do. It's got to be this way. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I just, nobody knew. 
I mean, yeah. this when this gets aired, it's probably going to be a surprise to a lot of people. Um, so, yeah. So I went to the doctor, and then when I got home from work that day, the house was clean. My favorite flowers are sitting on the coffee table. You know, an apology letter was on the table. So, okay, he knows that he did wrong, and he's sorry. Okay. You know, maybe I maybe I shouldn't have overreacted. Maybe I shouldn't have had anxiety. And you're going back to that. Going yeah. back to, okay, this was my fault. Yeah, yeah. So then, <laughs> yeah. So it was just a lot. That just happened a lot. You know, there was a lot, a lot of pushing, a lot of things that got thrown. There was one night that there, an argument after he, he was drinking, uh, there was an argument that spiked and things were thrown and he decided that he was going to call 911. And he dialed, but he didn't press send. Um, but apparently when you push 911 on your phone, it automatically just dials in after so many seconds. Oh, okay. Who knew? Yeah, good uh, fact. <laughs> good information, ladies. Yeah. So, apparently dispatch heard argument but they thought he was victim. Go figure. So the call got called back and it came up like Wapo County Sheriff or something. It came up on the phone and I was like, well, the cops are calling you. And he wouldn't answer it. So I did. And they asked if everything was okay. And I said, yes, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, we have to send an, an officer is in or out, you know, basically to assess the situation, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, crap. So, of course, I've been crying and things were chaos. And so I hurry up and try to go in and make myself look as normal as possible because I didn't want either of us to be in trouble and I didn't want anyone to know. Uh, so I go in and start making supper. <laughs> Little Smokies, <laughs> to be exact. Um, so I start boiling water and, of course, a knock comes on the door and I open the door and... Long behold, it was an old high school friend. <laughs> Crap. He's definitely going to know. So, of course, I lied and said, no, everything was fine. Like, I'm fine. And I'm sure he could tell that I just, I had been crying. Because uh, he knew me. <laughs> so, it wasn't like just walking into someone and, like a oh, they just says. have normal puffy eyes. Right. Yeah, no. Um, so, then, of course, he had to ask to see him. And so I yelled back for him, and he came out, because um, we had a breezeway, and that's where this argument started, ended, was. Uh, so he came in, and he asked him, you know, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, we just got in an argument, we're fine, we're going to eat supper and just go to bed, everything's fine. Wasn't, wasn't fine. <laughs> but, of course, the officer had to take our word, there was no physical signs of anything right um so and you're saying like i'm fine i'm so. fine he's saying he's fine so, so there's nothing more that he can do right yeah. yeah you know and i mean in turn in the end i'm sure he was probably like she just straight up lied to me like yeah. i know things aren't fine um so but that's his job like he wasn't my friend at that point he was an officer of the law right um so he took our word and that was that supper we had supper and i went to bed can't tell you if he even came to bed that night so then after I had our son that was while I was pregnant so of course when he seen me you know I'm seen in there I was probably seven or eight months pregnant sure nice and pregnant yeah yeah so I'm sure there was things going through right, his right. mind but 
you know, of course I was sane. I was fine just like I always did. And I, you know, it just became a regular thing that I didn't want people to know because I wasn't leaving. Right. I had no plans on leaving. So I didn't want anybody to know, mm-hmm. you know, my friends, my family, like, because I didn't want lectured because I wasn't, I wasn't going to listen. So don't waste your breath. Right. Right. And yeah. Because your mind is hear made it. up. Like, I think deep down, I knew that what I was doing, me staying was not good. And I knew that people would have opinions on it. And I just didn't want them. Right. So after I had our son... I started questioning if he was using um, drugs. Drugs again. Drugs again. Yeah. So there was just things that were happening and just signs that kind of led to it. Um, And it ended up he was supposedly just a couple times and he didn't like it, you know. And then I was like, all right, whatever. He's an addict, you know, as long as it doesn't happen again, you know. Yeah. More chances. Yeah. So more chances, more excuses. He apologized. You know, he means it this time. He might have not meant it last time, but he does this time. (laughs) Jeez. But yeah. um, So we ended up moving to Albia and to a bigger house because living in a one and a half bedroom with a baby on the way. Well, no, we had a baby. Oh, yeah, right. At the time. So we have you know baby things yeah lots of them yeah oh no room to store anything right so literally walking on top of each other and you know like I thought well maybe this is the problem like we just don't have our own space like we can't escape each other we're just on top of each other and there's just stuff everywhere you know like we just can't this makes sense we'll move we'll yeah do, yeah it'll like, be better because for our else. brains are just never clear because we just can't get there's away so from much. it there's right. just so much so we found a three-bedroom, um, two-story house in Abia, which I loved and still love and love. <laughs> Just yeah. don't love the memories that sure. came in it. So I thought this was going to be like a new beginning kind of thing. Like things will be better because each kid will have their own room and we'll have our own space. And we had a big yard and a basement to where, you know, like he could escape if he needed to. You know, my room has always just been my you know, place, your space, yeah. my space, my place, like just shut off the lights, turn on the music and just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's just always been mine. So we were able to distance yourself. A yeah. Little bit. Just not be around each other. So for the first month or so it was good. And then everything just started happening again. You know, the name calling the just being mean and he started getting more and more physical there, which I was at the time we decided so rewind a little bit. When I had our son, I was a house manager for a um, company and it was just too much with a newborn. So my grandma was watching my son. So I paid her weekly just for her time, basically. I mean, she didn't ever want money, but I made her take it, you know, like yeah, you're right. spending eight hours of your day watching my infant. Yeah. Um, so I went, I took my full leave. And so I went back when he was a month and a half, two months. So she was watching him and she started getting sick and like respiratory sick. Um, so she started, so she went to the doctor and they told her she had a respiratory infection. Well, then 
it just wasn't going away with her medicine. So one day she had messaged my mom while she was at work, which I don't understand why she didn't message me, <laughs> but she messaged my mom. My mom left work and went and sat with my son and she went out to the hospital um, with my aunt, took her because she couldn't catch her breath. She didn't know what was wrong, but she just couldn't catch her breath and she just kept coughing. So she went out and then when I got off work, my mom went out there and then a couple hours later, we got a phone call that they found a mass on her lungs. A what? A mass. Oh, on her lungs. Yes. Got it. Okay. So they sent her for further testing and it turned out that she had stage three, stage four, stage four is the yeah. 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 So stage four lung cancer. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So <laughs> more trauma. Yes. So that I had no daycare. We had two kids, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> Because yeah. then at this point, we had went for custody. Of to, his daughter. Yes. Um, so at this point, we now have 50-50. So I work in Atoma. We lived in Nabia. And she went to school in Nabia. Mm -hmm. So, like, how am I going to get to, get to work, get her to school, get her picked up from school, and have somewhere for my son that we don't have to pay Crazy. a crap ton yeah. of money? So then we discussed it um, because my grandma was so far into the stages of cancer when it was found, we decided that I was going to become a stay-at-home mom and take care of her, uh, take her to her, her chemo and radiation and just help. So it was a mutual decision that we made together that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom and then that just turned into turmoil. He used that against me all the time. If I wasn't in town taking care of my grandma, I took care of everything. The house, the kids, baths, supper, grocery shopping, and everything. I mean, he didn't really have to lift a finger. So then it turned into I was a lazy bitch or I didn't care about him. Because you're not working. Yeah, because I wasn't working. Like I wasn't working, yeah, in quotes. Right. Yeah. I wasn't helping financially. Uh. So then I started babysitting for, you know, a little extra cash to just let us keep going. And then in this time, my grandma started getting worse. So I applied to be a CDAC provider at her request Okay. because she's like, you know, you're capable of working and you're spending eight hours a day with me. Like you're going to do something. Yeah. So I became a CDAC provider and started taking care of her. And so that was a little extra money, but to him that wasn't working. That was me catering to my mom. Oh. Yeah. So, um, cause my grandma lived with my mom and, um, once she got sick, she started living with my mom. So my duties included like cooking, cleaning, you know, making sure she was safe. She had a safe was taking atmosphere. Care of, yeah. Yeah. So just like you would if you were working like in in home healthcare, mm -hmm. you know, you just make sure that it's yeah. taken care of. Well, he didn't see it that way. It was me basically taking care of my mom's house, you know, because I did clean it, you know, but that's what you do. Not, yeah, but it's not like it was just ever dirty. Right. Um, so he just got very jealous of that. Um, on top of, I think he was jealous of me having our son because that was just attention he wasn't getting. Um, so I spent a lot of time, you know, I wasn't catering to him anymore. I was catering to our kids. So I think just a lot of it was jealousy after jealousy after jealousy. And things just started getting more physical at home. And I just, I never had an escape. I never got a girl's night out. I didn't ever just... We need our time. Right. Yeah. And right. Especially caretaking for yes. everyone. Yeah. So I was constantly with the kids because they they came with me 
and I was just constantly taking care of everyone but me. Right. So then, you know, I started not, you know, dressing up and you know, I started gaining weight and just things. So then that became a mental thing for me, something that I did not like about myself. Well, he used that for an attack mechanism, oh, you know. Okay. So I become became a fat ass bitch or a lazy bitch or do you think you could get dressed today? No, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Right. Why? What'd you do all day? Sit on your ass? Yep. You know, besides following our one-year-old around at this time, picking up because I was like, my house has to be constantly cleaned or else he's not going to think I did anything all day. He's going to come home and, you know, tell me how I'm lazy. It didn't matter if I had spent the entire day scrubbing my floors. He would have found something, something, something. Yeah. A crumb on the floor. Yeah. You know, that he probably dropped off of his shirt. Right. I didn't catch it as it was falling. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it just became every little thing was just nitpicking. Yeah. And I just, I wasn't happy. I wasn't. And looking back now, you know, looking at pictures, because I I just don't delete things off, like, my Facebook and stuff like that. I just don't. Like, that was part of my life. I mean, it's not going to delete it from my life, so I delete it now. From your social media. Um, so looking back at pictures now, you know, I can look back and be like, I can tell I wasn't happy just by my eyes or, and I can remember what happened before that picture was taken. If there was a fight the night before, I can tell you what, what the fight was about. I can tell you what happened during that fight. You know, there's a couple of pictures that, you know, there was an argument and I was probably crying and I, you know, took a picture with uh, my son because he just made me happy. So, yeah. But just the puffiness and just distance in my eyes compared to, like, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, how did no one see this? And, you know, now they're like, well, we we knew you weren't happy. But they didn't know the extent of it. But they didn't know the extent of it. Which, um, yeah. That's hard to know. I mean. Right. If I'm not making it apparent to you. Right. How are you going to know? Because not. he was so much different in front of people than behind closed doors. I mean, in front of people... I was the love of his life. You know, he couldn't imagine life without me. Hey, babe, blah, 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 blah. But those are all, yeah, those also have to be tactics to use in order to create, like, that feeling of belonging. And then, yeah. Yeah. So when he made me feel feel good, yeah, Yeah, those those are my feel-good emotions, you know, like, okay, so there is some good. So then, as time went on, I just didn't ever want to be alone with him because I liked the way it felt here. With I don't someone else. like the way it oh, feels, where public, it yeah. should feel. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say that we didn't ever have good moments because we did. And he would make me laugh when I was so mad. So, so, so mad. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, that was just, you know, that kept me coming in. Like, that kept There were, like, me little in. glimmers of, yes. like, hope and yes. love and yes. like, acceptance. And yeah. So, yeah. And then it started becoming more and more physical. Uh, I remember one time specific, uh, we got into an argument. I can't tell you what it was about. And he had pushed me and I had fallen back onto our bed. And he basically, he was a lot taller than me Mm. and probably two feet taller than me. Well, maybe not quite, but yeah. So he was still standing and I was laying on, like basically on the bed. My feet weren't on the floor. Um, and he basically stood over the top of me and grabbed me by my throat and was yelling in my face, you know, yelling to the point like his spit was coming out of his mouth onto my face. And 
that's when I started becoming fearful of him. And my son at the time was one in his crib at the end of my bed. And so your son is witnessing yes. this happen. And in my mind, like, I was like, I have, like, I can't, my kid cannot see this. I have to get up. I have to get up. Whatever you do, get up. So he started, my son started laughing. He thought we were wrestling. He thought we were playing. Like, no, this is not okay. Um, so at this point he is like in my face close enough and he has my arms pinned. Um, so I was able to bring my feet up and basically Mm -hmm. plant them in his hips and use all my strength to basically push him. And when I did, it freed one of my hands and I grabbed him by the ear and pulled to just get off me. So he ended up getting off me, called me every name in the book because Mm -hmm. God forbid he started bleeding. Oh because my nail scratched him. Um, so then that was my fault. I was being crazy. He had to control me because I was being crazy. Oh, back on you again. Yes. So then, okay, maybe I was being a little irrational, you know, maybe he But even, a, even when that's happening, you're like, maybe, well, maybe it was my fault. Yeah. Oh know. my gosh, Alicia. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, okay. Then, so everything was just always, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said this. Maybe, maybe he's right. You know, yeah, I overreacted, right. you know? Uh, yes. And yeah, maybe, maybe he was afraid I was going to swing on him. So he had to hold my arms, you know? So it was just always, it's fine. You're like having this internal dialogue and you're trying to rationalize it. And, you know, and he just always made me feel this way because, um, you know, the traits of a narcissist, they're never wrong. They're always the victim. And yeah. So using all those, I was falling victim of a narcissist and didn't know it. Sure. So then, you know, I would write letters after letter after letter about my feelings, like what you're doing. And and then it turned into, well, I'm not even going to read these. Like, it's just a bunch of gibberish. And you think that you just have it so hard. And I work my ass off all day long to provide for you. What do you do? Okay. So now I'm worthless. (laughs) I'm worthless to you. I'm worthless to this house. I'm just worthless at this point. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just it got to the point where there just wasn't really a lot of good you know, before it was, he was going to redeem himself by just making things better the next day. You know, no matter what it was, you know, a lot of his go-to was going to pick me wildflowers because he knew like that was something I love, you know, pull over on the side of the road and just pick me flowers out of the ditch, you know, and he would put them in an old like glass bottle, like an old Coke bottle or something like that, because that's that's just, I don't know. That's just something I like. Well, he knew that. So then when he would do that, it was like, okay, he's sorry. So then, yeah. So fast forward, my grandma passed away in November. Before she passed away, I was actively looking for a job because it was just, it was just getting too much that he was calling. Basically, I just felt worthless because I wasn't helping provide. And he made me feel basically selfish for an overbearing to our son because I wouldn't say, I don't, I don't think I ever had like postpartum depression, but if this is a thing, I had like postpartum obsession. Okay. <laughs> like I just never wanted to be like, I didn't want anyone else to hold my son. Okay. You know, and I think that comes back to like the trauma. Like now I'm a parent. Now yeah. anything can happen. Like if I you hand know, them yeah. to you, you could drop him and he could hit his head. Right. You know, so it was just one of those things like I'm always making sure that you are safe. Yes. So um, I had a lot of anxiety about working oh yeah and and trusting someone else to care for him 
and I ended up finding a wonderful daycare in Abia and she doesn't do daycare anymore but I'm still in contact with her but she was great because I did find a part-time job at the time and my anxiety just got too much and I just couldn't do it so I was actively looking so my grandma passed away November 22nd right before Thanksgiving that mm -hmm. year but it was just one of those things I had to do by myself because he ended up getting in some trouble from his past and he was in jail <laughs> during the visitation so again it was something I was doing on my own and that was just the way of life anymore like he would never I mean never do anything together it was if something would get in the way of what he was doing I just stopped asking because I just did not like the way it felt when I did ask because it was just always a burden right so I just started and that's literally the only thing that you've tried to not be in your entire life right. from the trauma you experienced when you right. were five so that would have been like daggers yeah so I mean there was a time you know a friend a few friends invited us to a concert and here at Bridgeville and so it was a thing that was planned for a month probably uh, it was the Cole Swindell concert okay yeah so um it was something that had been planned for a while and then when it came to the day of he suddenly didn't want to go but I could still go no this is something we planned like I have a sitter all night like this is something that we are doing together and just turned into a huge fight and then I just got to the point I just didn't want to go but then we're going. This is what you want to do. We're going. So taking it and making it really unenjoyable. So yes. something that you would have normally loved was now yeah. something that was So we went stained. and just wasn't... It was fun for me because I was around my friends. But the whole time, he disappeared. So the whole time, I'm looking around. Where, where, where'd you go? So I'm texting him. Like, where you at? You know? By the end of the concert, I find him outside in the smoke garden talking to a friend. That I didn't really trust in the first place because I questioned if that's who he was like using with. with yeah so instantly I was irritated and I spoke how I felt well that ended in a fight and him basically jumping out of the vehicle while I was driving and kicking it and so I stopped you know in the middle of the road and he starts mind you he's drunk starts punching my taillights my headlights kicking the side of the car and I was like just get in the car like let's just go because we were staying at my mom's which was down the road it's like just get in the car like you're gonna you're gonna make this a bigger scene than what it needs to be just get in well, my car and you're trying to protect like I don't want people to see that yes. he's acting like this yes yeah sure because you're so yeah and you know when typically when people see a man acting that way to a woman it usually doesn't end well right so I just didn't want other people involved. Right. Um, so I was like, just get in the car. And he just wouldn't get in. I was like, you know what? Whatever. So I left. I left him. I don't walk. Walk wherever you're walking to. He ended up showing up not that much longer later and at my mom's. And we were in the living room. And something was said. I don't remember exactly what. And I remember him calling me a bitch. And my mom heard him. That was the first time that she knew that oh, okay. things were not good. And she's like, you two just need to go to bed. So then they asked, the next day she asked me, like, what was going on. I just said, you know, he got drunk. You know, we were just arguing. It's whatever. I made it a big deal. I made something a big deal I shouldn't have. Which, no, it was a big deal. We went to this concert together. And you didn't spend one second of that concert with me. So to me, that was a big deal. Like, because... I always wanted his attention, and I never got it. Yeah. So that was something I planned for us to 
you know, have time to ourselves because mm-hmm. it was either what he wanted to do or it was me taking care of them and the kids, you know. So, yeah, so then it just started turning into me just doing my own thing, like not even asking if he wanted to go because it was just, I would tell him what I was doing. If he came, he came. If he didn't, whatever. And so that was probably like a threat, felt threatening yes. to him. Okay. So yeah. then where did, where did his physical violence like really escalate for you? So it started escalating after my grandma passed away. Um, so I started questioning if he was using again mm-hmm. because of like just the way he acted, the things that he would do, um, little tedious things. And I started noticing I would wake up at two or three in the morning when he had to be up for work at four, he was awake in the basement, like all lights on, you know, and then I would go down to see, you know, make sure he didn't like fall asleep down there or anything. And I would go down there and he would meet me at the bottom of the stairs. Oh, like not let me come all the way through. So I'm like, at first, yeah, yeah, at first I was like, oh, maybe, you know, whatever. So then it started being a question because I started seeing like stacker packages, like the yeah. fat burning energy pills or whatever. Yeah. And then I started questioning it because, you know, I've like heard of people using like stuff like that to help. It's an upper. Okay. So just kind of to keep them awake for an extra oomph. Okay. So then I started questioning, okay, so like, why do you need this extra oomph? Cause you didn't need it before. And then things just started getting more and more violent, more and more physical. Um, he started, putting his hands on me more. In October, a month before my grandma had passed, we went to his a co- his cousin's wedding and a great time the whole time. Everybody like was talking about how like great we were and how in love we looked. <laughs> and that felt good. Yeah. Yeah. But deep down I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I love you. Like I don't know if I love him anymore. I'm just here. Yeah. Because I have kids. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it felt good that we were doing that, but at the same time, I was annoyed sure. because I know what goes on at home. Yeah. I know how he. So treats you're getting me and sick me. of it at that yeah. point. Like it's not. So um, this was a few months before I left. So at this point, I'm just done. I'm annoyed, really, because do you know what he does when we get home? Kind of thing. So that night, we left the wedding and we went to the gas station, and I went in and got him cigarettes and got back in the vehicle he was passed out at this point so I drove home and I pulled up into the yard so he didn't have that far of a walk um so I tried waking him up and when I tried waking him up he called me every name in the book because you know I was waking him up I guess um then it turned into and you're uh, trying to get him so that he can get to the house to, bed. to get in bed yeah, yeah. take him inside to go to bed so he's not stuck in the sleeping in the car right in the middle of October so finally he wakes up and then he's just a nightmare like just mean and mean very mean and he ended up I got out and he ended up getting in the driver's seat somehow and I was on the passenger seat I think I was grabbing like our things um okay our kids went to a babysitter so I had like their clothes from the wedding because they changed before. Okay. So I had like their clothes and I think that's what I was doing was gathering our things. And he said he was leaving. And I said, no, you're not. Like you were whiskey drunk first. Uh, So I reached across to try to get the keys out and I literally heard glass shattering 
and I fell backwards out of the Durango and dropped. My glasses fell off my face. My keys, I don't even know if I had the keys. My glasses fell off my face. My phone fell out of my hand. And when I, I did have the keys because they were in the yard. So when I came to, I grabbed my phone and I called his cousin to come get me because I just knew I could not be there because I don't know what I just got hit with, but it hurt and I think, I think it knocked me out for a second. So I was on the phone and I was, we and got he's there too. Yeah. He's still in the car. He's still in the driver's seat. And I was like, can you, can you come get me? We just got into a fight and he just hit me in the head with a glass bottle. He said, it wasn't a glass bottle, you stupid bitch. It was my fist. I said, oh, just kidding. He punched me in the face. Yeah. So that's the first time that he actually hit me. And um, I had a huge knot on my face uh, above my eye. And his cousin came and got me, and I stayed the night there. And the next morning, I woke up before they did. And I went home to, because we had to go help clean up the sweating. And I didn't want anybody to know, of course, you know they found out but then that turned into my fault for calling because he's I'm not going around all these judgmental bitches because you you ran your mouth and and lied lied about what like I have a knot and a black eye of my above my eye you think I did that to myself I didn't lay my hands on you yeah you did but I'm not so, gonna argue with you about it it's yeah. done it's over with whatever let's just go get this done and then he was just rude the whole time because you know I was the bad person because I got other people involved. Mm -hmm. Well, at that point, I didn't think I had a choice. Yeah. Like, I had to leave, and he wasn't getting out of my vehicle, so I couldn't leave in my vehicle. So, I just had to leave. So then, okay, so that that night happened, and you're, you have made this decision that, like, I need, I need to leave. I need to get out of here. Mm -hmm. So then, let's talk about the process of you. So, that was October. Okay. So then... Things just never really got better, but my grandma passed away, so I was dealing with that because my grandma was my grandma was my best friend. You yeah. know, like I was grandma's girl. She called me pumpkin. You know, it was yeah. just she was just my second mom, basically, as I think a lot yeah. of grandmas are. Yeah. So I was dealing with that grief, and I just didn't know how to deal with it because I felt like there was just a lot going on at that time, like. He was in trouble, like he was going to jail. So I just didn't have time to process the grief because I was going through my own grief mm -hmm. of life. So then in December, so my grandma passed November 22nd, December 22nd, he proposed to me. And I mean, for many, many times, I, like, you know, marriage would get brought up and, you know, that was a big thing to me. I wanted married. I wanted the dream wedding. And I wanted... Right. That's what your life was supposed to be. You yeah. Wanted that. And you I, wanted that. I mean, what girl doesn't dream of that, sure. you know? Thanks for joining us for part one of Alicia's story. Next week, she shares how the abuse progresses to a crescendo wherein she finds her strength to leave. Please join me for part two next week. Make sure to rate and review our pod so that other women can find us. Join our Facebook community at The Bee Podcast. Thanks again for your support. Without you, this project and the broadcast of these stories would not be possible. My sincerest thanks for your continued support. I'm Kenny Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.